In this week's examination of Sons of Sam, we explore the first two episodes of the Netflix docuseries. These episodes cover the crimes, chase, and apprehension of serial killer David Berkowitz. But this is just the beginning of the careen into the twisted web that becomes the Sons of Sam case. We want to look deeper into what drives this documentary and the strengths and flaws it has in covering this well-known New York criminal. So let's spill the tea. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And we are Crime Crime TV. So I just want to give you and our listeners kind of a precursor before we get into this. Okay. Is that even though I'm pretty well versed in the true crime world. Yeah. This Son of Sam case is not one that I'm too familiar with. So I went into this blind. Same. I did not know anything about this. And it's funny. I actually saw some stuff about David Berkowitz on, I think it was Reddit. And I was like, who is David Berkowitz? What is this even talking about? I didn't read it because I'm a scroller. So I was just scrolling on through. So then we decided to do this documentary, and here we are. I really want to just share with you, remind our audience about the opening lines for the whole docuseries. Okay. So it says, in the summer of 2017, I received three boxes from an investigative journalist named Maury Terry. Maury spent his life delving into the darkest corners of true crime. It was like a roller coaster as a tea hall, a little true crime aficionado. I was like, whoa, we're about to get into it. You liked it? You liked the intro? I don't know how I felt about the intro. I thought it was a little kitschy with the whole turning around the room intro title. I I thought it was kitschy. I was not about it. I was like, oh, here we go. Oh, see, so this gives me like unsolved mysteries. Ooh, like it's meant to be a good one. You like the show that used to come uh, ju- the drama yeah i was like oh yeah this is a mystery about to happen okay who who received the boxes who was the i in the intro did we ever find that out they never once said who actually received the boxes they just re- said i received the boxes who are you who is i yeah do we need a whole true crime doc on this i person i'll find them i'll find them it's not a threat that's a promise yeah <laughs> not a threat we don't threaten anyone here this mm-hmm. is crime tv an angel maury terry seems to be like the og web sleuth in modern terms he's the one that like dedicates everything to it just no i have a theory yeah the way that this documentary revolves around him is crazy Mm -hmm. because he is gonna find out what is going on in this case and everyone else is just this case is over yeah leave it alone and maury terry's like no we must. They really paint this image of the 1970s and the 1980s just being like bad time across the board in America. It's when all your prime serial killers were out there running amok. You got Bundy, Kemper, Richard Ramirez that we just talked about, Gacy. Menendez oh, brothers. Yeah, Dahmer. The whole gang's there. I wonder if there's any connection as to why that decade was so heavily laden with serial killers and murderers. I theorize that it's because of the advances in forensic technology and DNA technology as a whole. Okay, explain. So, let's say if Ted Bundy started his crimes in 2014, we probably would have caught Bundy back in 2014 
because he would have left DNA evidence that has so since been advanced since his crime spree. Yeah, true. So we would have caught Ted Bundy before murder two or three. Yeah, that's a good point because I guess all of these serial killers had at least like 20 victims. A lot of these did go on for a year or more before they were caught, which allowed them to be more prolific. That's true. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. All right. I'll get on board with that theory. So there's actually like a serial killer map and it also dates when their crime sprees were. Yeah. And it's like in, once you got into 2000, a lot of them really stopped. And I think that's in part of those forensic technology advances. Huh. I wonder if anyone's ever actually done a research paper on this. I should have looked it up. If any of you guys know of any research on this, holler at us. Drop us a line, if you will. I want to know. I'm curious. Don't say that. It's a phrase. It is a phrase. All of our polls confirmed it. I think my eyes just rolled down the street. My mom says it's a phrase. And also, while we're on this topic, what actually defines a serial killer? Like, how many murders do you have to commit to be considered a serial killer? Do we know? So, let me... I don't know. Go through the files of my core memory. Oh, okay. Last I remember, the FBI defines it as three or more That doesn't seem like a lot to be a serial killer. Three is a lot of people. Eating three Oreos, That's a serving size. Right. That's fine. Killing three people, okay, now we got a problem. That's not a serving size? People and Oreos, two different things. Sure. Makes sense. There is no serving size on murdering people. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Three is too many. Yeah. If you kill three people, you're doing bad, honey. One is too many. One. You're right. You're right. (laughs) One is too many. Right. We do not condone. I'm sorry for the disclaimer that this episode has to have. It's my fault. Yeah. It's okay to be a regular killer, but don't become serial. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Jesus. And you thought I was bad. Okay, so one thing that surprised me about this was how fast we got to David Berkowitz's arrest. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was at the end of the first episode. And when we're talking about a documentary that spans four episodes, each with an hour long episode, I was surprised when they arrested david berkowitz at the end of the first episode i was like whoa what are the other three hours of this gonna be i was like because that went by pretty fast yeah and you have beef with that him being arrested so quickly but i have beef with the fact that they got him going to his car and they're like you david berkowitz you are the son of sam or whatever and he's like yep i am the son of sam and you have caught me. He did. He did give up real quick. He was just, oh, you, you got, got me. <laughs> Damn. Oh, shucks. Yeah. Oh, almost the Adam. Or what is it? Steve Urkel? Did I do that? But yeah, that was crazy. He was just like, yeah, you know, that was me. Didn't even try. I would have gotten away with it, too. Well, you know what? He probably would have. He honestly probably would have because remember they went through his car without a search warrant to find him and that almost cost them his trial yeah and his guilty verdict i mean that almost ruined the entire arrest because they did that without a search warrant i remember them talking about that really almost flubbed that one then they get into this narrative 
about all the crimes that were occurring in New York City during this time. They were saying, like, one in 15 people were murdered, raped, robbed, you know, all the gruesome crimes that you could do to a person that happened. That's not a good ratio. No, not at all. But so there was buildings being burned down and just madness, chaos, mayhem across the city. And then they're saying like, oh, the city is needing to make some financial restrictions because of all that's going on. What the first thing that they did that the documentary stated? They laid off 10,000 police officers or firefighters while all this crime's going on and your city is burning down. It's crazy to me honestly that they even had 10,000 they could lay off like that alone is kind of insanity my question is now that we know what we know about the search warrant did they lay off their best detectives am I allowed to say that is that rude that's rude because that was like one thing like if you're gonna lay off that many people it seems like you would be pretty intent on keeping the best of your best and then the best of the best goes through somebody's car without a search warrant They really messed that one up. They didn't in the end because they were still able to get a guilty verdict on Berkowitz, but... After the first victim, Donna Loria, one of the interviewees, says that stranger shootings happen all the time in New York City. Could you imagine just you're walking down Broadway, you're walking down Main. Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue, yeah. You're sitting there on a park bench, boom, head got blown off. No rhyme or reason behind it. Just Richard Romero style, just because you felt like it. I don't understand how she's saying that happens all the time. If that's happening all the time, they got some bigger problems. Because you don't hear in criminal cases, you really don't hear about there being no motive behind killings. Like, motive is the first thing that we see on television shows and movies, like, as the go-to right off the bat. Maybe I shouldn't trust movies and television shows for my police information. Maybe that's my problem, but... I saw it on CSI Miami one time. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they always are like, he doesn't have a motive. I guess that does make it harder to convict someone if there's no motive. I did appreciate them going into the discussion of the caliber of weapons used. Because in our last episode, we learned that Richard Ramirez used a twenty-two. Yes. Which is like one of the smallest calibers that you can have. If not the smallest, I can't remember. But gun aficionados weigh in. Hello. Just kidding. I grew up on a farm in East Texas. And so, like, I had guns. I shot guns growing up. That's just kind of part of the hillbilly life, if you will. Sure. But at 22, it's like getting punched in the face by Mike Tyson. Might kill you. Probably won't. But eight punches? By Mike Tyson, eight shots with a twenty-two, that'll get you. Okay. Now getting hit with a forty-four, like David Berkowitz used, that's like getting hit by a, a semi or a bus. Like that's one and done type of thing. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, where would you even get a gun like that? Wherever they sell guns, that academy, sporting goods stores. He really used the weapon that was, he was going to get him first try. No issue. That's pretty aggressive. Murder in any case is aggressive. We'll We'll preface that. Yeah, we'll just set that aside. Murder in its nature is aggressive. But I guess like using a forty-four seemed extra angry. Which is odd because from all the interviews and stuff we learned about David Berkowitz, he did not come across as the aggressive type. 
No. He was a mild-mannered postal worker. And it's strange, too, that when he was arrested, he used the name Son of Sam. He said, I am the Son of Sam. And that was wild to me because talking about the guns, for a long time in the media, he was referred to as the 44 caliber killer. And I wonder how that morphed into him now today being known as the son of Sam. I think it was I think it actually stemmed from Maury Terry's book. I think that's and when Maury Terry was releasing all of this info that he had researched, I think that's probably when it took on the son of Sam nickname. But I thought it was interesting that even David Berkowitz went by son of Sam. And I know I know that's how he like signed his letters, but still like the way that media took hold of the case was by the 44 caliber killer. And that's more straightforward. Someone's, oh, did you hear about the 44 caliber killer? You're going to be like, okay, they probably murdered somebody. But if someone's, oh, did you hear about the son of Sam? You're going to be like, is that your new neighbor? Who the fuck is Sam? Yeah, like, is that, did they move in down the street? Do I need to bring them a cookie? You don't make that connection between the heinous crimes that he committed by the son of Sam. It's a little more of an abstract connection. So I'm, I was just curious why he didn't stick with the 44 caliber killer and went with the, the more mild-mannered name, if you will. And to be honest, I was unclear at the end of this documentary, which I, I know I'm jumping a little ahead. This is just first and second episode, but I'm still a little unclear as to what Son of Sam actually is or means. Gonna, <laughs> we'll dive into that in a little bit. I just, I'm still like, what is good? Yeah. What? It was like my, wind, my brain was running off of Windows 1. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because the the timeline got a little lost in this one. Got lost in the sauce. Yeah, it did, it did get a little lost for me. I wanted to know where we were at and past the first episode, which really detailed his crimes and the timeline popped up on a little typewriter. Past the first episode, though, we really lost the timeline. And then that's, I started getting lost. I was like, I don't. I don't know what's going on anymore. I feel like the lights are on, but nobody home. <laughs> that, that was happening in my brain. That was literally me. I was like, oh, no, I see things are happening on the screen here. But what are we talking about? These are some scary images. So I'm just so used to in crime documentaries, the timeline being very clear and concise because the timeline is the essence of a criminal investigation. Yeah. From the timeline of death to a ru- everything. Timeline is everything in solving a crime. So for a documentary, especially one this lengthy mm-hmm. and in-depth, mm-hmm. to not have that like consistency and to not know where we're at in the whole process of this was really frustrating. So they arrest him. He, he gives in easily. He's like, ah, yes, you've got me. And then they go into this press conference where one of the detectives by the name of Frank is on the podium. And one of the reporters says, Frank, you screwed up, almost caused a riot out there. Which idiot thought that up? And it, Frank must also be an Aries and chaotic and ready to fight on site by him. Because Frank comes back, flips his hair, checks his nails, <laughs> and says, Fuck you. You want to argue about idiots? I'll argue with you personally, you son of a bitch. So don't put this shit on me. We made more fucking opportunities tonight than you've had in 100 years. And I'd like to apologize to my extremely Methodist grandparents if they are listening. (laughs) You were reading a quote. It's okay. Oh, yeah. That's fine. I don't normally talk like this. Yeah. I was like, is that that allowed? 
is a detective allowed to jump across a counter at someone? Because that's legit where I thought that was headed. I was like, he is going to jump on someone like me in a Methodist youth group. I mean, he is going to jump across this. the Methodist. He is going to jump across this circle. We're the looser end of the religion. He's going <laughs> to jump across this counter. Yeah, and he had like, that finger that like stabs through your chest. Like, you, you son of a bitch. But I can see how this would be so stressful. Like, he's just trying to do his job. He's just brought in this crazy serial killer, rescued the streets of New York from this one disaster. And these reporters are, like, coming at him about the door he brought the criminal through. I'd be pretty pissed, too. I'd be like, sit down. So I can can see where he's coming from. I can see that, like, anger, that level of anger, I guess. I, I get it. The media starts to go wild after his arrest and they start getting details about the case and everything that went down, especially up to the trial. And I have to wonder if part of that media craze was fueled by the fact that the police did make some mistakes because I think that makes it more dramatic Mm -hmm. because obviously when you have a criminal like this, everyone wants someone to blame and so if you find out that police have made a mistake especially in a case that's this big I think probably that fueled a lot of the media craze like they were upset just because when something like this happened like everyone wants a resolution they want someone to blame they want to pin this on someone like they want it to be someone's fault so if police have made a mistake it's really easy to then blow that up and spread the news and get people fired up about a case and drum up even more media speculation and it just bubbles and snowballs. I do have to discuss another thing about the media in this. Okay. Lay it on me. So I can't wrap my head around why the picture of Berkowitz sleeping peacefully was such a media craze. Like I get somebody wasn't supposed to be in there taking pictures of him. That wasn't supposed to be allowed, but it happened. But I don't understand why everybody was, like, willing to pay for this picture. No matter how much of a monster you are, we sleep. You sleep. David Berkowitz sleeps. Madonna sleeps. Gandhi sleeps. I don't know why Berkowitz sleeping is such a big deal. My theory on this is that it's polarizing. I think when we have serious criminals maybe even just criminals in general, people tend to dehumanize them. We don't want to see criminals as humans, as having a likeness to ourselves. So I think showing a picture of someone like David Berkowitz, who has committed unspeakable crimes in a vulnerable, very human state of sleep, I think that it fires people up because they don't want to see a mass murderer in that light. Mm -hmm. So I think something like that is just very polarizing for people to see because in our heads, we have a tendency to want to dehumanize a criminal and, and not afford them the comforts that everyone else has. I think it's just because it was, it drummed up controversy and, and it was very polarizing for people to see a criminal like David Berkowitz in such a vulnerable human light. That's my theory. Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> that could be a TED Talk. I know. So, 
whenever John Carr turns up dead in Minot, North Dakota, I honestly about collapsed in my chair because my crazy ass ex-boyfriend lives in Minot and I almost moved to Minot and then after seeing this documentary and they're like yeah it's a desolate wasteland only zombies come here to die basically like it's horrible and there's cults and it's just bad news bears all out there in Minot I was like yeah I'm, I'm glad I didn't pursue that relationship further but how true is that is it that much of a like wasteland if you're from Minot can you shed some light on this please Minot 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 <laughs> that's and a tangent we don't need to go on and you're welcome for getting that stuck in your head for the next five days <laughs> so i know you love the detectives in I my not you know what that's why i'm like do we have to call it a shithole because those detectives know what's up mm-hmm. they're like don't start discounting what we say just because we're from a small town acting like we're ignorant and don't know anything i'm like thank you you get them queen yes I feel that. Came for their wigs. Look at me over here. I had to share te- textbooks. We didn't have enough textbooks for all the students at my high school. Look at me. Got a zoology degree. Didn't even have enough science textbooks for everyone to have one to a zoology degree. So come at me. Being from a small town or not having as many resources as other people does not mean that you are not as intelligent and motivated and diligent as everyone else. You were on a soapbox today. I'm a preach. <laughs> Another thing that I felt like my stomach fell out of my butthole when this happened. <laughs> okay. That is exactly how I felt in this moment. Is whenever they're having like the hearing or the trial and that reporter calls Stacy's mom Mrs. Berkowitz and she says I'm not Mrs. Berkowitz. Don't call me that. <laughs> Shut. She's what? like, it's Mrs. Moskowitz. Don't call me Berkowitz. <laughs> I love a redheaded New Yorker lady. <laughs> okay, but here's my thing. Why did Netflix even include that? Can you imagine? I know I've had embarrassing shit happen to me. And that reporter probably was so embarrassed he wanted to curl up in the street and die when that happened. A mistake like that. And then for Netflix to come back 40 years later and be like, look what you thought you forgot about. Surprise, shouty. Remember when you totally effed up that name and called that lady a serial killer it's like netflix why are you gonna be like netflix that be a savage i don't give a fuck they don't but i was like that is so mean like that poor reporter still probably thinks about that and now netflix has just aired it to everyone what that did not need to be in there that was not any significant portion of this documentary in whatsoever way it was like watching like a reality tv show you're like oh they just said that oh shit <laughs> yeah but that's not the kind of shock factor we need netflix did not need to include that that part you know what if reporter if you're listening to this podcast i apologize to you on behalf of netflix that was so rude i feel bad for that reporter why is netflix netflix airing his dirty laundry he didn't mean to. He just made a mistake like 40 years ago. Leave him alone. Girl, that reporter was old. You better send that statement right on up to the heavens. He's not. He's probably not dead. Oh, girl. So that was, what, 75, 76. And he looked like he was probably 
at least 40. Oh, I thought he was like 20 when I saw it. That was some grainy film. We've come a long way. I'm proud of us. Long way in cinematography and forensics. Yeah, because I thought he was like 20. So you want to hear some spooky shit? Not really, but go ahead. So Maury Terry goes on this first date with a nice lady oh god i know where we're going with this he takes her to the brock zoo which i'm not mad about the zoo's a cute first date love the zoo for a date and then he takes her to the location of a double homicide on the anniversary of the double homicide and thinks that's a good first date idea is this a red flag that is a red flag baby we're gonna start a side series called is this a red flag that's like lame is put the red flag waving in front of the yeah i was so i was like okay i get this is gonna sound really bad of me but i get the intrigue around seeing where something horrific happened it's just a morbid curiosity where it lost me was one that this is a first date right the other place that really lost me was when she was not even bothered, she was just like, well, it was just a nice night. It was so romantic. And just the setting where these two people had been murdered, and it was just so lovely. That the street just, light was flickering. The street lights were flickering. She was like, I just had to kiss him. Like, what, ma'am? No, shorty. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. And then to admit that in a Netflix documentary that, like, millions of people are going to watch... Couldn't be me. Couldn't have been me. Maybe her and uh, Maury Terry were meant for each other. I'll just say that. One of the things that the Minot detectives were talking about later on is that Son of Sam symbol where it has, like, the female and the male gender symbols. See, this is why I got confused. We were back and forth in Minot. We were in Maury Terry. We were in the Son of Sam satan club we were in the murders like I, it was all over the place i got so lost we're trying to do this podcast in chronological order it, it doesn't happen does not happen yeah and it messes us up anyway go ahead so john carr was using that son of sam symbol four months prior to that symbol being distributed through media and it's not like a common symbol like the little s thing we all drew on our binders in middle school it was a very unique, intricate symbol. Yeah. And that's, they stumbled upon it four months prior to it being published. So obviously there's a connection between John Carr and this Son of Sam descent into darkness. I know that John Carr had a lot of connections with David Berkowitz, and that's why he was a person of interest and eventually a suspect before they found him dead. But him and the brother showing up dead at the same time, I really lost the significance of all of that to David Berkowitz. Like, was it a suicide? Was it a homicide? Was it an accident? Was it... There was so much going on, and they never clearly stated what was going on with that. I got really lost. That was the cult keeping them hush. So we think it's a homicide. I think John Carr's was probably actually a suicide, but maybe like a provoked suicide. And then Michael Carr, where he just drove off the road hit a pole and all that. I'm pretty sure that was a homicide, an intentional homicide. You think? 
I think so. Rather than just an accident? I don't think that was an accident. I could see with everything going on how it wouldn't be, but he really had nothing to do with anything going on. So, I mean, that we know of, but well, maybe yeah. they got him to shut up before we knew about it. True. One of the mysteries of the David Berkowitz case and Sons of Sam case. So that's really where episode two leads off for us. Yeah, that was about the end of it, which what a way to end it. Honestly. Everybody dies. These two episodes were a wild ride. They really were. I was all over the place. But here we are. Now it's tea time. Tea time. My favorite. It's like a rainy and gloomy day. It's such a good day to be like curled up. We're, we're record. I feel like it's pertinent to say we're recording in a blanket fort. You could see it on our Instagram. We're testing out uh, some new sound proofing to try and the quality of our game here. But that means this week... We don't have a table, so we're recording in a blanket board. So I I will start with my tea. I chose a lemon and ginger. It's supposed to help digestion. I got all the digestive issues, <laughs> so I need that. You could have left out the digestion in that and just said issues, and we would have gotten the gist. Thank, thank you. That's so rude. I got issues. <laughs> What's that song? I got issues, and you're one of them. So I'm drinking Yogi's Caramel Apple by Tea. Those are good ones. I love those. Yeah. They're actually super good. Everyone goes crazy about their Tivana or whatever it is. Tivana, unana. But I'm a yogi fan. Yogi for the win. So, Erin, what are you giving this so far? So far, a two. You're giving this a two? Yeah, I'm not pleased. I was bored for a major part of it. I lost track of the timeline. I didn't know what was going on. There were so many things happening. Um, beginning felt kitschy wasn't a fan so i'm gonna go with three for right now okay i'm feeling very neutral about it like they haven't entirely lost me yet i'm still intrigued but my expectations are low okay so you're gonna have to tune in next week to see how we round this documentary out we are gonna cover episodes three and four of sons of sam on netflix yeah as always episode will be dropping monday at 4 a.m and what oh 4 a.m central standard time thank you she's mouthing it at me you can't see that anyway and until then feel free to reach out you can find us on twitter instagram and tiktok with the name crime tv T-E-A-V, and on Facebook as Crime TV. You can email us, crimetv at gmail.com. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And, and that's, that's the T.